The Teffel Commute, Season 5, Episode 6, Alcohol, in which we talk about alcohol and teaching. Right, here we go. Hey, Sean. Welcome back. Hi. How are you doing? Fine. It's the last episode of the season. How do you feel? Oh, well, I feel like you're, it's a, you know, we, we should have a party. I guess that's why we're talking about alcohol in this, this episode, is it? It is indeed. Uh, welcome, everybody, listeners. This is the Teffel Commute uh, podcast uh, for language teachers. That's not about language teaching, although the topic will come up from time to time. Um, and we're on our fifth season. This is episode six. Each episode we choose an, uh, I was going to say we choose an alcohol. We choose a topic <laughs> and discuss it in depth. We do not, this is not one of those podcasts where we're talking about things drunk. Um, but this time we are talking about alcohol. Although, although now, now you're giving us an idea for season uh, for season six, you know, each week, each week we do need to have a we record later in the day so we can uh, we can have an alcohol of choice. Yes. Well, indeed. I mean, let's uh, alcohol. We we've been wanting to do an episode on this for a while uh, for a couple of couple of reasons. Um, first of all, how I, we think uh, I think both of us were talking before about how we believe that alcohol occupies a special place in English language teaching notable for its absence in uh, our teaching uh, and materials often. Uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about that, although perhaps not so notable for, I mean, perhaps notable for its uh, very presence in after teaching. Um, I don't know how much we're going to talk about that. I think we wanted to talk more about... Um, I think it's interesting, yeah, it is interesting that it's not... Um I mean, in, in both our contexts of, of teachers that have been pretty much expat teachers, I think I think in, in the life of an expat alcohol or the the alcohol situations of alcohol player play an important part, um, you know, as a social gathering um, place. But it is it's funny that it just doesn't appear in teaching whatsoever. And yet, as hopefully we'll discuss later in the podcast episode, it's one of those areas in English where there are so I mean, it's so rich in language to talk about, isn't it? So. Uh, well, let's let's uh, let's 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 start with that on like what what is it taught and if it isn't why not and I think I would argue that over the past ten years I've hardly seen any um, material or or stuff which includes explicit focus on alcohol and I'd even venture to say that prior to that it may have been present but it wasn't explicitly focused on there was never like unit three alcohol. 
No, that's true. I guess I guess um, if we if we go back a couple of episodes to when we were talking with Ben about Phil, I think one of the things that that, that we were talking about there is in that in those in that nineteen seventies um, uh, I forgot the name of it now the the video series you know some of those were kind of alcohol related in terms of how to ask for a drink or or social situations, but but no, there's no. I mean, you would you never find it in a, in a in a modern course, would you? There'll be every every. Um, editor's nightmare can you imagine i mean you know as many editors as i do how many how they would bulk at, at, at the suggestion of it. <laughs> it it is very interesting to think that um it, it used to be uh quite prevalent in 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 for example how where dialogues were situated yes. lots of dialogues would be at the pub um where your functional language would be in the past it would have always been maybe something ordering a drink or or someone would say um uh, can I get you a glass of wine or would you like another beer or something like that? All of that has now been replaced by would you like another cup of tea or can I get you uh, a, a soft drink or um, no thanks, I don't want any more cola. In fact, because we don't even say Coca-Cola because of trademark <laughs> stuff now in, in materials. This, uh, this, uh, this, I know that... It, in this area of the passing topic, which we're going to, but but actually, does what you're saying actually suggest what's happened? I mean, if you, if you look at, um, I'll take British life. Is it the fact that kind of it is the fact now that you probably go to a pub and you might not have an alcoholic drink or you might have a coffee? There's been this big societal change, and really, I think since when I mean when I when I was first going to pubs and drinking, you went out to drink. But now you go out and people have soft drinks and there's much more awareness about soft drinks, there's much more awareness about um or, you know, the, we've become a cafe society really as well, uh, which we weren't certainly then. So I wonder I wonder if part of that is 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 a is a change in in kind of well um, uh, in British culture, uh for want of a better Yeah, and I think it's I mean I it could be partly that. I don't live in Britain so Every time I go to Britain, I still see a lot of people in pubs, but um, but I've also noticed way more cafes. Um, I think it's a change, maybe in British culture, but probably more a reflection of world culture and trying to accommodate cultures where yeah. alcohol is just a no-no. So this becomes part of the the parsnips acronym, which has been much discussed. Uh, let's just do a quick gloss on what parsnips is. Oh, have we learned this? Since we, I mean, I think we brought it up earlier in the season, and we and neither of us could remember it. But, no, uh, well, it's politics, so. alcohol, religion, sex, narcotics, isms, and pork. Well done. I'm good. Are those things that are not allowed in published materials? Sometimes, uh, well, for cultural reasons, uh, cultural sensitivities, um, and 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 for other reasons, it's not just a cultural and religious thing, though. I think it is. So I, I'm not going to ask you. I'm just going to take this a different way. I mean, you you a couple of years ago, you published a, a, a book that was kind of went outside the norms of typical course but topics to try and uh, to try and debate stuff. Is that something? Is alcohol a topic? You know what? It wasn't. It wasn't so much. In fact. We were our, the book that you're talking about. I think is the one fifty-two, a year of yeah. subversive activity, and uh, my co-author and I, Luke Meddings, we thought about including all of the parsnip stuff, but the like lessons about sex or about alcohol, it you know trying to craft them like d deliberately became 
you know, it, there was a fine line that I found myself walking on, like whether or not it became too much of a jokey thing and asking myself seriously, how much would I would I teach all of this in a class? <laughs> it's interesting that you said it's a jokey thing. Now. I mean, because I would say, I, um, as you know, I taught for many years in the Czech Republic where um, alcohol is a very important part of Czech life. I mean, beer especially. Uh, and the alcohol lesson, while not being in published material, I would say many teachers had their own uh, lesson that they, they brought out towards the end, you know, just before Christmas or the end of the semester, which was on alcohol. Because uh, normally we'd take the students to the pub because we taught adults. Okay, so, well, that's true. I think there are different ways of approaching it. When I said jokey, I was sort of thinking of all the, the and we'll get to this at the end of the episode, all the slang words for like wasted and smashed mm, mm. and hungover, which then can kind of veer into sort of, you know, bit, uh, what you'd say in British, laddish, uh, talking about uh, or, or sort of glorifying drinking or sort of making kind of humorous jokes. Whereas teaching like... Um, you know, just the words for wine, beer, spirits, cocktail, etc., um, wasn't edgy enough, in fact, for that book. No, so that no, was sort no. of just, just straightforward, standard stuff. So are we, are we actually answering the reason why, apart from it being a past it, are we actually giving lots of reasons why it isn't a course book topic? Because it's just not worth it. Is that- I, I think it's a shame that in, uh, in materials that there aren't any dialogues where anyone gets any any alcoholic drink at all um but i can perhaps understand why uh but i think that's a bit of a shame i think it's also a shame that when you um that we don't include those words at all in the in the word lists for mm-hmm. um for, for 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 lists of drinks although in some books you may find them um that being said i know that um many people are thinking okay so what is this just um for cultures that don't drink alcohol you know sort of uh, in, in in gulf countries the middle east uh, uh, muslim cultures uh, i, I want to share a little anecdote of i wrote uh, an activity for a magazine once where uh, the listening in the listening this was around 15 years ago in the listening um, two people are showing uh, another two people around their new flat so they're saying this is the living room and someone says oh what a beautiful view and then they say oh and here are the bedrooms and look there's a bathroom uh, next to the bedroom and you know kind of basic stuff taking mm-hmm. and then at the end of the listening one of the per- people say, um, "Well, what a lovely apartment!" And the and the owner say, "It is. Thank you very much. Let's uh, let's celebrate. Come through to the kitchen. Um, there's a bottle of champagne in the fridge." Right. So it was a lot of there is there are, yeah. and that was the end of the dialogue. Well, when we uh, when that went to the market where it was supposed to be sold, we got. Um, uh, the p- distributor got complaints from a school. Someone wrote a long letter saying, I am never using any of this published material in my classrooms or indeed in my institution. Uh, again, I'm writing a letter to the authorities and so on. And what country was this? This was the United States of America. So yeah. this had happened in a country because they said, and they wrote this whole letter saying how we were encouraging young people to drink and how like it was illegal and terrible and so on and so forth. So, it, you know, it was a curious and, and that the reference had only been that they were going to, these adults were going to have a glass of champagne to celebrate a new, new apartment. Um, so, so it was interesting. So obviously it can, you know, rub a lot of people up the wrong way. So, which is probably why publishers avoid it. Oh, certainly. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I mean, and it's a whole, I mean, it is, I think we've, it is, it is opening part. We've, we've laid out lots of reasons 
why it might may be avoided or, or not. But yeah, I think you just don't know who it might upset and not upset. I mean, I, the it's... plus side, you're right. In many cultures, alcohol plays a very important part, and um, not just not just talking about you know all the words for different levels of drunk or sobriety or whatever, or just the vocabulary for the kinds of drinks, but also I I, I would assume there's probably useful language to be mined on sort of like. Things like this, cultural things like this is my round, or please let me get this one, or can I get you a drink, or what are you having, and all that. Yeah, I mean, and I think, but it goes back to the functions again, doesn't it? I mean, the the the, the whole uh, the whole. It always seems to me that missing that language out. It, you know, if you were equipping students to go to, um, and and I know this model is is a bit dated, there's a lot of discussion, but they're going to go to a country and speak in English, or whether it's Britain or whatever, they they need to know the language of how to operate within a an environment that would sell alcohol, like like the rounds and stuff like that. And I think that if we don't cover that to a certain extent, we're doing we're doing a disservice to to students. And I certainly think, um, you know, a lot of my students, when, uh, when I taught a lot of, uh, in inverted commas, business English, it's that kind of scenario that they need to know, because that's where they're going to function. Um, so... It is, uh, yeah, and I would imagine also. I mean, I've been in in business situations um, as as a as a traveling teacher, trainer, or author, where that cultural information about whether or not to drink was very important. Sort of like, you know, like they they want me to have another drink. I don't want to have a drink, but should is it rude for me to turn down the drink here? Well, or I, if I ask, if no one is <laughs> suggesting we have a beer and it's a certain time of day, you should know, I have like, a beer? <laughs> like, is it too early? You don't want to seem like the, 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 you know, the alcoholic, whatever, when some, when, you know, everyone kind of goes and it's like five thirty, and they're like, well, what are you going to have to drink? And you're thinking, I don't know. I'll have what everyone else is having because you don't want you don't dare ask. The, the problem, the problem when you well, many years ago in the Czech Republic, I, the attitudes have changed now. But many years ago, the Czech Republic used to be turned up for seven thirty a.m. Uh, business English class in company, and the the the, the you know it's a one to one lesson, and the director was like, "Let's just start with a Bekarovka, which is a, a Czech spirit, you know. So you need to learn the language of mm, it's a bit early, or you know <laughs> this, this idea of, of it. So you know it." Uh, it goes both ways on that one. I mean, the poor teacher having to, you know, well, not having to, but, you know, the dilemma of oh, it's the company, it's the big company director. Should I have a drink with him or should I not? But definitely. This is a very serious, it's a very serious like, last episode, isn't it? Then allow me to, um, allow me to lighten up the mood a little bit because we've been talking about alcohol in the sense of like teaching uh, learners whether or not to teach and the advantages or disadvantages of teaching alcohol words. What about um, the effect of alcohol uh, has on someone's fluency? Here's a question, Sean. Do you think uh, alcohol makes you speak a foreign language better or worse? Oh, I'd certainly say in my own. I always feel that I'm more confident, and, and so that I'm, I'm much more fluent after I've had a few drinks. But um, yourself? Well, let's take a break. I'm going to share with you um, some stuff that I found on this. Uh, let's let's talk about it just after our break here. I'm drinking rum and Coca-Cola, go down point Kumana. Both mother and daughter working for the Yankee Dollar. Producer James here with a quick message to say thank you for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to show your support for the show, 
then you can help us in just a minute and it won't cost you a thing. Not everyone is as tech savvy as you. So if you know someone who would enjoy the show, get hold of their phone, open up the podcast app and show them how to find the podcast. You can even hit the subscribe button for them. With your help, we can reach even more teachers. Okay, on with the show. Okay, Sean, we're back again. Are you ready to know if alcohol, if I think alcohol makes me fluent or not? Oh, uh, yes, I'd like to know. Yeah. Well, I, um, I think it does a little bit. Um, certainly, as you said, it's the confidence level. But this, in fact, you know, we're kind of talking about ourselves, but this has been studied. Um, right. There was, it was studied by um, someone called Giora, G U I O R a in 1972 and in 1980 and it's the most fascinating studies um that uh that i've heard um just to give you a little bit of a taste here i'll tell you what it was it was there in the 70s and 80s uh at the university of michigan there were studies made on the effect of inhibition reducing substances on pronunciation performance so here we're talking more about pronunciation than we're talking about foreign language but it was right. pronouncing a foreign language in fact they were americans learning to pronounce thai stuff um mm -hmm. but the inhibition reducing substances were alcohol and valium can you imagine being part of these tests <laughs> What 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 I actually like about I mean, the test because obviously I mean to, to be fair this is I mean you you have talked about this since we've ever started doing this podcast to me about it. I, mean, I've, somebody, I wanted I, for this podcast, so listeners, what I wanted to do is I wanted to try to track down one of the eighty-seven University of Michigan students in nineteen seventy-two who took took part in this in this test. If anyone's <laughs> listening knows one of those people who took part in Giora's alcohol and volume test. On whether or not it affected your pronunciation, I'll let I'll let you go back to the test. Remember what I what I do like about the research. I just like the idea that it was a double blind, so you didn't actually know which which one you were taking. Which oh, I know. Well, hold on. Let me <laughs> actually on. let me tell you. Um, let, I found the paper that he wrote, and it's really <laughs> worth listening to the method you know in any of these research papers they have the beginning abstract and then they have like the method that they followed i, I i'll sit back and uh, put on some music and let you tell us the method go on. all right cue it up Eighty-seven University of Michigan students served as subjects for the experiment. All were over 21 years of age and were informed in advance only that the experiment would involve responses to an alcoholic beverage. Half of the subjects were required to avoid intake of any food or beverage after lunchtime on the day of the experiment, which took place in the early evening. The other group of subjects were given the same instructions, but they were to eat a full-size candy bar one hour before reporting to the laboratory and to bring the wrapper with them. Upon entering the laboratory, the subjects were assigned one of five treatment conditions based on self-reported body weight. Uh, the purpose of the assignment procedure was to control the effects of body weight and general intellectual ability by equating the, equating the treatment groups on those attributes as nearly as possible. 
The subjects were then asked to drink a cocktail presented by the experimenter. All such cocktails were served with cocktail napkins, in stemmed glasses, and were garnished with a cherry and a twist of lemon peel. A darkroom signal timer was set to allow exactly 10 minutes for the drink to take effect, and at the end of this period, subjects immediately began the language test described below. The cocktail ingested by each subject contained either zero, one, one and a half, two, or three ounces of 90 proof liquor. The four alcohol treatments consisted of varying amounts of a punch known for its deceptive potency. It is one half liquor and one half other ingredients such as citrus juices. A three ounce serving thus contained one and a half ounces and so on. The zero liquor condition was designed to simulate a cocktail in order to hold constant the wide range of non-physiological influences that normally attend the act of drinking liquor. After 10 minutes had elapsed, the subjects were taken to a separate room and tested on two measures, the standard Thai procedure uh, to approximate pronunciation in an unfamiliar language and the digit symbol test, a subtest of uh, the Weschler Adult Intelligence Scale. So there you go. Isn't that fascinating? I love it the is. fact that uh, the, the details that it was, um, you know, the, 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 they had, uh, you know, the, 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 the liquor had had the cherry garnish, the twist of lemon peel. And um, anyway, I, I, I actually it was uh, it was cognac and rum, the liquor that was used, by the way. <laughs> That's right. And then later on, he repeated the same study with Valium. Um, that was they were given they were given either a placebo or volume to sort of relax them in the same way and then do the test so um yeah the, the, the um you were talking about the standard type procedure so basically they were having to, if, if those of you that, that don't know it like i didn't until Lindsay told me about it they were doing um expand, expansive drills weren't they it was they were they it was listen repeat stuff and things like that yeah. now so probably people are wondering what happened um uh, of course, like so many other uh, tests and, and things like that, the results were inconclusive. Um, there was some evidence that uh, at the be like that being a bit drunk would lower your inhibition and therefore your pronunciation would go up. But if you got far more drunk, then it would go back down again. So it was kind of like a graph; it would go up, which kind of would make sense. You know, you've kind of got the different stages of of uh, inebriation. Uh, your confidence goes up, and then your fluency and your pronunciation went up, and then it went down again. I think. Mean, I, mean, I mean, if you think about it, in, I mean, we're talking about language learning, but you would say that the. I mean, as people get more inebriated, they begin to slur anyway, don't they? So it's fairly obvious that pronunciation would get affected by alcohol at some point. Um, I think what was shown in one of the experiments was apparently that the person administrating the test made more of a difference on the scores than the tranquilizer itself. So right. the person giving the test, because uh, this was talked about in Jane Arnold's book on affect and language learning, but a uh, Cambridge book, which she uh, uses that to explain, you know, it's, it's, it's the effective way that the people were, were made to feel at ease or not by the, by the scientist. But and since then, I don't think I've ever heard of people uh, repeating that experiment. I did. I did come across. I'm not repeating that experiment, but I did come across a, a, a what do they call it? A meta study of 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 lots of studies of language learning and alcohol last night, which I'll, I'll put on the, which suggests similar things uh, for it. I also, um, I also came across a. I think it was a website called Tipsy Pilgrim, where they were actually talk, where they were talking about. Uh, there was an article on language learning makes you better able to speak a foreign language, and they coined the phrase um, uh, what do they call it the, the single shot method. And I was thinking of all those things 
things. We've had behaviorism, we've got dogma, we've got that. But have we ever tried the single shot method, which I, I think is is a, a, a kind of nice coinage, coinage of it uh, for it. Um, slightly going away from language teaching, but still staying with alcohol with it. There, there is research to say that alcohol improves memory, which I find difficult to believe. Oh, I find that I find that weird to believe as well. It's apparently the dope because of the dopamine effect. The you know the, the happy feelings you get of alcohol helps you remember things. And so there are a number of uh, of um, educational related studies uh, that are uh, whether people remember better if they've had a few shots of alcohol. So so maybe it is a it is a win win. Uh, 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 for for the for the students uh, for it, I think with me going back when you asked me the, uh, just before the break, um, especially with Czech, which is a very hard language to get the cases right. I would always, you know, without uh, think about which am I getting this part of the language right in the construction. And once I've had a few drinks, it was just kind of like, yeah, can't care now. I'll just go for it, <laughs> you know. So it, not not necessarily from a pronunciation point of view, but not not worrying so much about whether I'm whether I'm getting the right case ending uh, uh, for for the for the situation i am in and what am i talking about um and it seems to you know seem to work enough for me so <laughs> well shall we take another quick break and come back uh well i think it's possibly time to take a break well not take a break but you know what we haven't done i haven't beaten you in a fight this season oh my so god I, I think it's time to have your you want to fight season. all right yeah Let's well i am I, i'm two zero up uh lindsay so you know I want to hold on to that. Let's fight. Welcome to another round of Tefl Fights, in which our two competitors will duke it out to decide who's right and who's wrong. So, what are the Queensbury rules? Well, each fighter will have one minute to argue their case and do some serious damage to their competitor. In round two, they'll have the chance to follow up and land the knockout blow, persuading the judge, that's me, producer James, that they've managed to win. So, you might remember in our previous episode, we discussed clothes. So in this bout, our brave pugilists will be sparring over this topic. Teachers should not teach words for undergarments. So going first and arguing for the topic, it's Lindsay. Seconds out, let's go. Okay, first of all, I'd like to say uh, this, um, we chose this topic deliberately ridiculous, so I'm gonna make an attempt anyway to, to, to argue the point, okay? I have four things to say about this. First, frequency. When teaching any vocabulary set, choosing any vocabulary set, you need to make choices about frequency. You can't teach everything. So we need to select the most frequent and useful words. In terms of a clothing set, that means trousers, sweater, jumper, jacket are all much more frequent than panties, boxers, bra, etc. I did a search on this. Underwear does not even make it to the top 5,000. So since we have limited time, we go with the most frequent. One reason why we shouldn't teach the undergarments. Two, there is a titillation factor to teaching bra, panties, 
boxers, etc. But this could lead to awkwardness. For the same reason we don't teach words that these kind of clothes cover, e.g. penis, vagina, cleavage, etc. These are also a key part of human existence, but we don't expect to have to teach them. Any teacher who has taught these words, if they have any sensitivity at all, will know that not everyone in the classroom is comfortable with it. From the last point, how are we supposed to practice the words? Any good vocabulary teaching cycle doesn't only present, but it practices. So there's lots of activity for relating to clothes that involve personalization. Isn't this too personal when it comes to... And that's time up. Thank you, Lindsay. Okay. Now, Sean, it's over to you. Okay, before I start, I'd just like to say that one of my favourite programmes on the radio is called The Unbelievable Truth. And in that, somebody has to speak for uh, a short while and get in a number of items, uh, a number of truths, and the, the panel has to work out the truths. So since we're taking this so seriously, my minute will include, uh, my, my minute argument will include a number of key vocabulary items to the topic. Can you pick them out? Okay. So, my argument will be brief. I've girdled my loins and I feel quite frankly that Lindsay, rather than basking in the glory of a good argument, is somewhat embarrassingly getting these knickers in a twist about something so small. Of course it might upset people's sensibilities to teach these words, and they would rather see them as unmentionables in the classroom. But personally, I think it is a bit of a slip to deprive students of key words. There is already enough censorship going on within materials, and I can't see why we lock some language away in drawers. What is an English breakfast without bacon? And what is a clothes lesson without, uh, without undergarments? Teachers have a vested interest in ensuring our students are language prepared. What happens on a business trip to a U in the UK if a student suddenly gets caught short and finds himself having to go buy a new pair of underwear? Okay, it might not be appropriate to teach every new word to very young students who might be more interested in teddies and boyfriends, but late or even early bloomers will surely um, ask teachers such words. So how do you avoid them? How does a teacher plan a lesson um, that, on clothes and just stop at uh, shirts and trousers? Gee, such a lesson would leave us stringing students a thong. Being serious for a moment, underwear is a rich topic. The, the words are polysemous and easy to teach. They form part of the idiomatic makeup of a language and they're fun. As our last podcast, podcast showed, it's handy if you know the difference between taking your pants off and taking your pants off. And let's face it, um, if we get to the topic of fun, fongs, it can cause much an embarrassment. Um, not teaching these words would be simply pants. Okay, thank you, Sean. There's a unique take on the arguments. Okay, so now it's gonna go back to Lindsay. Lindsay, uh, you've got uh, 30 seconds, over to you. Okay, first of all, I very much respect and uh, I was in admiration of the bit of verbal uh, acrobatics um, and linguistic acrobatics that my partner did. However, a lot of those um, idiomatic expressions were very British. I can understand teaching those expressions and words associated if you are in Britain as a North American teaching abroad in another country, don't see the point at all. Um, so uh, not really uh, in, in favor of it just for that reason. And also like many things, I'm. If students need it, they will find it. This is the same with swear words. This is the same with other taboo topics. I'm not saying that we censor them, uh, and but but there's so many other things to teach that it is doing a disservice to spend more time on these kind of things that might make people feel uncomfortable, um, but then uh, they will find anyway. So some things are better when discovered by yourself, for yourself, and not forced on you in a okay. class of 15 to 30 people. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Lindsay. And Sean, back to you. 
Yeah, no verbal, uh, no, no verbal gymnastics in this one. Just uh, going back to the moment, uh, the topic of frequency, which is where Lindsay started. Uh, that's all well and good, but there is, but as he well knows as a material writer, we don't keep everything within frequency if it's taught in a lexical set. There's often the old adage that comes up in trainers about the days of the week and how they feature in frequency. Uh, the argument being we wouldn't teach some because they're simply not that frequent. Uh, so I think the lexical set argument uh, puts pay to that. Uh, secondly, yes, people uh, people can discover things themselves. We could say that about any piece of language. So just because they can discover it from themselves doesn't really say we, we shouldn't have it in our, our lesson. I do not take on board the embarrassment factor, and I think like any piece of uh, language, we should be sensitive to our students' needs. But then to uh, to uh, to have a blanket ban and say not teach these because is a little bit far-fetched. Sounds a little okay. bit like. Okay. okay. <laughs> now I'm dying to know what it sounded a little bit like. Uh, no, you'll, ne you'll never know. You'll never know. Okay, so we've heard some great arguments from both of our combatants. And it's time now for me to make my final decision as to who has the eye of the tiger and who's been left spread-eagled on the canvas. And while I have nothing but admiration for Sean's marvellous puns, I'm a huge fan of the pun. Oh, my God. And a pun run is something I, I always love to hear. But, but? But with such a difficult topic, I thought Lindsay did a marvellous job of convincing us that teachers yes. should not wear, should not teach words for undergarments. So I'm going to give it to Lindsay. Yes! More, more fix in an American election. <laughs> oh, yes! Oh, take that! Take that! <laughs> just, just, well done, Lindsay. I congratulate you on finally winning one. Um, if you were playing my game, by the way, uh, tortured and untortured, there were over 13 different pieces of underwear in my talk. It my was talk. very good. Some of them were a bit... were a bit... Tortured! Tortured! I was getting as many in as possible. You're right. Yes. Getting yeah. caught up smalls. Yes, that was quite was quite interesting. My favorite, my favorite, my favorite was G stringing a student on a thong. I thought that was yes, cool. yeah, stringing a student on a thong. I salute my fallen, my fallen uh, opponent. Uh, fallen this time, but uh, might might have lost the battle, but still winning the war. Oh no, no! Here's where I go and kick sand in his face. Kick sand in his face. <laughs> it's worth remembering, Lindsay. It's, it is two one to Sean still, so there's still some work. I know, but I could still, done. I could still give him a wedgie. <laughs> okay, thank you guys, and thanks for everyone for listening. See you next time on Tevil Fights. Okay, Sean. So, uh, coming towards the end of our episode, and you have on the the show notes here that you wanted to do is you wanted to test me uh, on on my on my drinking vocabulary. Yeah, is this my Brit? Is are you going to test me on British type words? I don't know. I don't know if they're British or not because I think my my the drinking vocabulary is influenced by all the different nationalities on there. But we'll see. I, I said earlier on that um, that there are. It's one of those things where there are many. Uh, elements of vocabulary.
I mean, uh, you'll find websites and it's kind of them almost like uh, play one-upmanship. There's a website that says, oh, 360 words for being drunk. And the BBC on their cultural page has, English has 3,000 words for being drunk. Oh gosh, it sounds it sounds like those, it sounds like those things like the Eskimos have all these different yeah. words for snow. Yeah, yeah, so it's very typical of that. But it reminded me that um, I do, when it kind of, you know, when you're doing those initial teach training courses and, and I'm like doing vocabulary 101 and I'm teaching convey meaning and I introduce the idea of a climb, you know? So I thought, uh, let's, here we go. Let's let's give Lindsay a climb. Um, um, so you know, at one end of the climb, you are um, you are sober, and then at the other end of the climb, you're 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 drunk. And I, I, what we would then do is, in the in the session is you know throw out these words or ask them to depending on how mixed the nationalities were to throw out words and uh, say which end of the of the line you would put it. Okay, um, I'm on my climb. Okay, so I'm going to start with what, uh, you know, which people might see as slightly um, uh, an old-fashioned word, but it's one my mother, I remember being a child. So my first word for you is squiffy. So if somebody says they're feeling a bit squiffy. Okay, I'm putting that on my client. Do I tell you where or do I say at the end? Uh, probably best for us to say now, unless you're actually writing them down on the client. I am writing them down on the client. Okay, so let's give you, uh, we'll give you, we'll come back to them at the end. Sozzled? Sozzled. These are. I. I knew that these were going to be British words. Okay, sozzled. Well, you could. You could share some with me later on with it. Coffee and sozzled. I don't think I've ever heard in North American. Oh, that's really. That's really. Uh, no, North American English. But you. You. You hang around with a lot of British. Yeah. So, no. Uh, I've heard. I've heard them uh, uh, elsewhere. Okay. Keep going. Squiffy. Uh, sozzled. Yeah. But uh, blathered. 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 B l a double t. Blathered. But but b l a double t. No, you can have battered if you want, but like as, as as bladdered, like as your bladder. Yeah, correct, hence the meaning of it. Okay, bladdered. Okay. Uh, legless. All right, got that. Yeah. Uh, one more. Yeah. Uh, off your trolley. Oh my gosh. Okay, hold on a second. Okay, I'm gonna. I know James is listening, so James might could it'd be interesting to see if James uh, agrees with us on this one. But go on, it's oh, well. I almost put them in, like so. I thought Squiffy would be like not too not too drunk, right? So the Squiffy would be was low on. I was sort of a third of the way up my climb. Yeah, probably not even that far up, but yeah. yeah I think, and then I, I put the and then I put and then I put sozzled, but bladdered. I don't know where I'd put that. But I put sozzled, uh, and then I put bladdered, and then I put off the trolley, and then off your trolley, and then I put legless at the very top. Yeah, that's pretty much right. Yeah, they were getting stronger as as we as we went along uh, with it. I mean, there are so many of them. That, uh, I was hoping you'd know. give me a few more sober ones, like stone cold. Oh, well, because I'm reading the drunk list. Uh, James, James, James has sent me a message saying he agrees with me, so that that's quite good. But I was reading the uh, drunk words. Okay, Mister Sober. Then what, what words have you got for sober? Uh, I've, actually, it's interesting. <laughs> there are hardly any. Whatever. Stone cold sober. Uh, yeah. Clear headed. Clear headed. No, yeah. Clear headed. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you have other words for sober, we all know that there's probably. As they said, 3,300, whatever, for drunk. But other words for sober, we'd be interested in hearing them. So you can share with us on our Facebook page or via Twitter or at our website. Do I say it now, the website? You can say it now if you wish. Our website, which is www.tefelcommute.com. I, I still like the way you say www. Like, it's so... It's like, well, so what ridiculous. am I supposed to say? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, just say tefelcommute.com. <laughs>
<laughs> I just, for me, isn't is, I know it's not the top of the new series. It's WWW, uh, redundant language now. Um, but anyway, um, before we get to banjacks, addled, badgered, battered, whatever else. <laughs> well, yeah, so cool. I, you speak for yourself. I'm stone cold sober. Uh, Half cut, half cut's one of my favourites. Half cut, yeah. I'm half, half cut. cut, yeah. Tipsy, I guess, would be another one. Oh, we could just keep going on, but let's let's wrap up the season on a high note here, then. And on um, a high note, surely that's a different type of uh, substance. Maybe, maybe time for another episode. Okay, guys, it's been great. Thank you for listening to us all this season. Please subscribe. Please leave us a rating if you can. Where uh, where you listen to your podcasts. We've heard that this helps uh, podcasts, so we definitely want in on that as well. And, um, yeah, we'll be back again with a new season in a month or so, a couple of months. I'm not sure. Well, presumably we'll be back in the autumn when because people will be heading in Europe. Anyway, people will be heading to their summer break. And, of course, if you are going on break, we now have well, well over 40 episodes of the TEFL Commute for you to catch up on. Uh, and we'll be back here, I would imagine, at the beginning of the new term, new semester. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Cheers, Lindsay. Cheers, Sean. Thank you. To celebrate the end of this season of TEFL Commute, we have a special giveaway for our listeners from the Extreme Language Teaching website, a website devoted to interesting and different materials co-created by our host, Lindsay Clanfield. Now, 100 TEFL Commute listeners can get a free copy of the latest teaching adventure, a series of role plays called The Island. To get your free copy, simply go to the website excelt.wordpress.com. That's excelt.wordpress.com. Find the link to the store page for The Island and enter the download code COMMUTE, all in lowercase letters, at checkout. That's excelt wordpress.com find the store page for the island enter commute and check out remember use all lowercase letters and that this offer is valid for the first 100 listeners only enjoy the island adventure you've been listening to the tuffle commute an original podcast produced and presented by lindsay clanfield sean wilden and james taylor Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and by visiting us at www.tefflecommute.com. Thank you.